Yes. Shall we pray? Yes. Father, thank you for this time to uh, pay attention to your word, and I do ask uh, that you'll help us to do just that, to give uh, our focus and our attentiveness to it, and uh, that you would overcome whatever distractions might otherwise uh, captivate us, and that you would, by your word, uh, show us uh, the most important things that we need to see here tonight about yourself, uh, about ourselves, and about um, all that you have done for us and all you want to do in us. And so we give this time to you and ask you to uh, glorify yourself with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 1. We looked last week at the first five verses in Galatians. I don't know yet, I haven't planned far enough ahead to know if we're going to work straight through this book, but it is interesting how most of the questions that we posed last week as far as what we want to pursue in our time together, thinking about how we can know that we have eternal life, uh, it's interesting how many of those questions and topics are addressed in Galatians. And so uh, I would imagine most weeks we're at least going to be referring to this book, if not just working our way straight through it and then answering those questions as they come up in the book. As we're doing this study and as we're trying to answer these very important questions about salvation and assurance, how we can know that we can have eternal life, we've got to be really careful to avoid a couple of extremes, and maybe you've even wondered about these extremes, and so it's probably good to address them. But one extreme would be, one, one caution that we would want to avoid is, if you are not a believer... I do not want to create in you a kind of false assurance. I don't want you to think that you're okay before God if you're really not okay before God. That would be very unloving of me to do that. So uh, that's one extreme, one caution that I want us to avoid. The other extreme, the other caution would be, I don't want to create unnecessary doubt if you are a believer. So... You might ask, well, how do I know? How am I going to know? The answer is, I probably don't. Uh, You know, I I know some of you pretty well. I I have a pretty good guess about some of your relationships with the Lord. And I have good confidence in a lot of you that 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 is a vibrant and and, uh, uh, realistic kind of thing. But this is why we must obey 2 Corinthians 13.5 that we read at the beginning. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Because if you are in the faith, Jesus Christ is in you, and you are in Christ. If you're not in the faith, neither one of those things are true. You are not in Christ, and He is not in you. But, but the, the command is, examine yourselves. I must do that for myself. You must do that for yourself. We're all, we all must obey that. Now, to help us do that tonight, to help us examine ourselves... We're going to think about uh, what Paul brings up, Paul the writer of this letter to the Galatians, what he brings up, um, what he makes very clear from the beginning of this letter is what we call the gospel. And, And for us, the word gospel probably is very central to what we think about Christianity, and it should be. So if we can be very clear on on the gospel, then probably we can be very clear, or at least more clear, on 
Our standing in the gospel, like are we in it or are we not? Is it in us or is it not? So we're going to try to to be very clear on the gospel tonight. Uh, Last week we tried to be very clear on what eternal life is and why it matters and how it comes about because God raised Jesus from the dead so that he can live forever, so that all those who are in Christ can also live forever for God's glory forever. That idea of, of being eternal. This week we'll see how the gospel helps us even to know that it is Uh, how the gospel is the basis for what we even know about eternal life. Now, I'm going to read uh, this chapter, most of this chapter, to you. I want you to follow along as I read it. And then rather than explain everything in it, I just want to draw some some implications, okay? Um, Mainly applications from it. Uh, But let's read it so we can understand what's being said here, and then let's draw those implications. So I'm going to start in verse 6. This is where we left off last Week. Galatians 1 6, Paul writes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ." For you've heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order, in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, Uh, In what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So there you have Paul uh, explaining some of not just his teaching what he's taught, but, but some of his life, some of his testimony, how he came to teach those things. What I want us to do is to uh, con- make five conclusions, five implications, okay? Five things that are implied here that are applicable for us. Uh, here we go. Number one, first implication for us is that we believers as the church, we must accurately define the gospel, we must know what it is and what it means. So, look, at, look back and notice with me in verse 6 that there's a contrast. Uh, he says, you are, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay, so if they are turning 
to a different gospel, what are they turning from? The true gospel, right? They're turning, they're turning toward this, away from, uh, some, away from what he would call the, the true gospel. Um, you know, if you're turning toward something, you've got to turn away from something. So what is it different than? It's different than what is true. And, now, and how does he summarize it? Okay, it's, it's, uh, If you look at the, the beginning there, you are deserting him. And here's how I think he's, he's explaining what the gospel is. Him who called you in the grace of Christ. So probably he would define the true gospel as God calling people in the grace of Christ. That would be his way of defining the gospel, right? You're turning from him who called you in the grace of Christ. That's the true gospel. You're turning from that to a different gospel. See how he's explaining that? I think that's probably what he, what he means there. That's the gospel summary. And it lines up with how the letter starts. We looked at this last week. So look back at, at verse 1. Uh, he talks about how he, he's an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead. And why did he raise him from the dead? Look at verse 4. So that, uh, or because Jesus gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. And we said that all that is related to this, this gospel uh, that Paul preaches. Now, all of that is of God's grace. Isn't that a gospel of God's grace? Okay, think about it. Why are we even in a present evil age? Because of our sin. sin. Because of our own choice of rebellion against God. So we didn't, we didn't cause Jesus to be raised from the dead. We didn't cause God to call us in Christ. We caused the present evil age. But it's God's grace who calls us in Christ. We're just dead in our sins. We're enslaved to the present evil age. And God spares us from his own wrath by making us alive with Christ. Look how he describes it down in verse 15 where we read. In verse 15, Paul talks about his former life. I was trying to destroy the church of God. But, verse 15, when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me, how? By his grace. He called me by his grace. This is God's doing. This is God's initiative. God set him apart before he was born. Now, apparently, going back to verse 6, apparently some who once preached that gospel were now deserting it, right? Verse 6, you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. In other words, you had preached this way before, but now you are deserting it. Okay, so, so, so this reveals an important truth for us. Not everyone who professes the gospel actually perseveres in it. Okay? So there can be some who at one time would profess the true gospel, but then later on we see they didn't, they're not with it anymore. Now there might be a ton, a ton of different reasons why they've veered off track. But the reality is you can profess truth and then later on deny that same truth, right? So there's caution here, isn't there? So we need to pray that our definition of the gospel will continue to be biblical, that, that we would be unwavering in making sure we define the gospel differently so that we don't turn to a different gospel. So that's the first implication is we've got to be able to define it. Here's the second implication. We must avoid 
distorting the gospel. You see that terminology there in verse 7. They're turning to a different gospel. Not, not that there's another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So there were these preachers who apparently came in uh, to, this, to the region of Galatia and troubled the people uh, by preaching a distorted gospel. So our day is not too different, right? So both in that day and this day, we hear messages that might sound pretty close to the gospel, but they're not. So that's why we've got to pay really close attention to biblical definitions. Distorting the gospel happens if you don't define it correctly. And it leads to a couple different errors. You've got some subpoints there in your notes, I think. Here, here are the errors that it could lead to. First of all, distorting the gospel leads to proclaiming a different gospel. Think about that. If you, cha- if you change the message, we understand what it means to distort, by the way. Okay, to, to alter something, to be misleading with something, okay, to change the, the facts or to get the story wrong. So see how this works in verses 8 and 9. He says, even if we, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. It's interesting. Paul even includes himself. He says, listen, if we, if I preach to you a different gospel other than the one I brought to you at first, then I should be accursed, is what he's saying. So he, he's, even, he's not even saying, I would never do this. He's saying, listen, if I do this, I'm to be accursed. Verse 9 is almost repeated uh, exactly. We said before, so I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel, contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. If it's contrary, right, if it's different, if it's distorted, then that person is to be accursed. He will be an outcast. He will be cut off from Christ. And you say, well, that's pretty harsh that he would be cut off from Christ just because he preached a different gospel. Well, here's, here's why that it happens this way, because of the second error. The second error is that distorting the gospel leads to deserting God. Distorting the gospel leads to deserting God. Okay, so think about it. If I preach a different gospel... If I preach a gospel contrary to the true one and I'm cut off from Christ because of it, yeah, that might seem harsh, but who actually left who? Did God leave me? Did Christ leave me? No, I deserted God. That's what it says there in verse 6, right? I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ and you're turning to a different gospel. So me proclaiming a different gospel is me deserting God himself. Now verses 10 through 12 help us explain why this is the case. Look down at those verses. Verse 10, I, uh, Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were, trying to, if I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that is preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it by any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. So, whose gospel is it? It's God's. So if I'm deserting and distorting God's gospel, then I'm deserting the God whose gospel it is. You see that? If I leave one, I leave the other. If 
I get away from one, I get away from the other. And Paul was more concerned with God's approval than man's because he's more concerned with God's gospel than man's gospel or any distortion of the gospel that man might come up with. And again, it's those people who formerly professed this gospel that were distorting it. So that's, that's a caution for us, isn't it? Is it possible that we could get off track with the gospel, that we could somehow make it something it's not? It's very possible. All right. Again, that's why we need one another. It's why we need together to pay attention to the word to make sure that none of us get off track. So we must not dis- uh, distort the gospel. Here's the third implication. We must adamantly defend the gospel. Adamantly defend the gospel. Now this, this point is, is not explicit in any one statement in the passage. It's not mentioned separately from these other things that Paul says, but it's, it's the whole of what Paul is doing. So his whole reasoning for writing and saying these things is to defend the gospel. It's, it's, he, you know, he's giving these warnings, he's giving these teachings so that he can defend the true gospel against the false imitations of the gospel. Now, there's, there's a couple different points, I think, that need to be made here. So, uh, first, I think it's important we understand there's a difference between defending the gospel and being defensive about the gospel. All right? Um, if we're defensive about the gospel, it probably means that we think that the gospel needs our help to make it true or to make it powerful. Okay? It doesn't. So don't do that. Now, defending the gospel, I think, is, is like, what, uh, it's like what Jude commands. So if you read the book of Jude, he uses this phrase that believe, he says believers should contend for the faith. Right? So it's, an act of, it's almost like an act of warfare even. right? So we're fighting for truth. We're, we're contending for the faith. And Paul, even in Philippians, says that, that the Philippians there partnered with him, he says, for the defense of the gospel, for the defense and confirmation of the gospel, to defend it so that, so that we get it right. So, how can we know the difference? How can we know whether we're defending the gospel or just being defensive about the gospel? Here's, I think, probably a good test. Uh, If someone insults you because you believe the gospel, you may want to get defensive because they've attacked you. And I would warn, don't do that. Don't be defensive if somebody attacks you just because you believe the gospel. Something. So if someone insults you or someone misrepresents the gospel, uh, if, if someone insults you, you're going to tend to get defensive about yourself, okay? But if someone insults or misrepresents the gospel, then you want to defend the gospel. You see the difference? We should do that. We should defend the gospel. We shouldn't defend ourselves if we're insulted for the gospel. So there's, there's a little bit of a distinction there. I think. Now, when we defend the gospel, here's what happens. We do the fourth implication, which is this. We must appropriately display the gospel. We must appropriately display the gospel. Displaying the gospel is pretty closely associated with displaying Jesus himself. So, verse 12, Paul says, I didn't receive this gospel from any man, nor was I taught it. I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. He's recounting his own conversion. And then he tells us about his life afterwards. He sought to put the reality of what had happened to him on display to others. And you notice that one thing that he did is he partnered with other believers. 
Now, what's, what's the most strategic and best way for you and I to partner with other believers now? We're doing it right now, aren't we? We, we join churches, okay? We, we live in community with one another so that when we gather like this, we're doing all these things, hopefully. We're defining the gospel. We're defending the gospel. Hopefully, we're even displaying the gospel. As we read scripture, as we sing truth, as we teach the Bible, as we pray for one another, as we build each other up, as we discuss these things. That's how we display the gospel. However, these things must not stay in this room. So, the fifth implication. We must articulate and declare the gospel. We must articulate and declare the gospel. So again, notice Paul's pattern. Look what he, look what he did. Verse 8. He says, there in the middle of verse 8, um, let me start at the beginning. Even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you. What is he saying that he did? We preached to you. Right? So Paul received the gospel and then he preached it. He declared it. All right, look down at verse 11. He talks about the gospel that was preached by me. I've done this. I've preached the gospel. Look down at verse 16. He says, God was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles. I wonder if maybe that is a statement that at least ought to be true of all of us. Maybe God displayed His Son to you and I so that we could proclaim, so that we could preach about the Son of God to others. I think that's probably not far off. And then down in verse 23... Uh, they only heard, they only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now what? Yeah. Preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. He's now preaching the faith. So for Paul, it's not enough just to rightly define the gospel. He's saying he needed to speak it to others, and I, and I think we must as well. Now, not all of us will be preachers of sermons. That's okay. But all of us are evangelists, aren't we? Notice, think, think back or maybe even look back to how this would have related to what we saw last week. Paul was an apostle. We said an apostle is one who is sent out. Yeah, sent out by Christ. Commissioned by Christ. We talked about how all of us are commissioned by Christ. We're sent out. The great commission. Paul was sent out because of the gospel that came to him. All of us are sent out because of the gospel that came to us. We are disciples of Christ called to make disciples of others. Now, this is probably at least one helpful way to think about and to look at the question of assurance. So, I would propose this. If you and I are not regularly, actively praying about, looking for, and taking, advantages of oppor- taking advantage of opportunities to share this gospel with others, then I think there's probably a very real possibility that we don't actually believe this gospel. Our eagerness to pass this along to others is one way to evaluate our own assurance. Do we really believe this? If so, I think we'll actively be, again, praying for, praying about, looking for, and taking advantage of opportunities to share this gospel with others. If we're convinced of it for ourselves, I think we'll want others to be convinced of it as well. And again, let me add, maybe you're here and you're not 
assured of your salvation. I don't want to give you false assurance. I, we all for ourselves must, again, examine ourselves to see whether we're in the faith, to see if Christ is in us. If you've not trusted Christ to rescue you from your sins, if you've not turned and repented from sin and, and trusted in His life, death, and resurrection on the cross, then that's the first step to gaining assurance and to walking with Him and then to speaking this gospel to others. Let's pray that we'll do that. Father, we pray that you would make us so convinced of the good news of what you have done for us in Christ that we would confidently make it known to others. That we would uh, be sharing with those who don't know you uh, the gospel that can save all who come to you. Thank you that you have revealed these things to us through your word. Lord, we, we, we talk about, I know I use this phrase a lot, about knowing you and making you known. And Lord, I know I in my own life uh, fall woefully short in the uh, making you known category. So Lord, we pray just that you'd help us to be obedient, that we would be so assured and convinced of the truth of what we believe and what you've done for us that we would uh, pass this on to others so that they can have that same assurance. We pray you'll work that through us uh, tonight and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen.